0: Today on Season 2, Episode 99 of the Unknown Packers Podcast, Bryce welcomes special guest Jacob Westendorf of Packer Report, Pack-A-Day Podcast, Pulse of the Pack, and Dairyland Express to the show. You may be familiar with Jacob as a writer and podcaster, but today you will also get to know him as a Packers fan. Join us as he and Bryce discuss former Packers, current Packers, future Packers, and more. Get down, turn around, go to town. It's time for Jacob Westendorf on tap.
1: Green play, green
0: play, green. Thank you so much for following
1: the Unknown Packers podcast. Yeah. Touchdown!
0: Dagger! Al Harris! 56 yards to a game-winning touchdown! Green Bay Packers! Go Packers! Winning isn't everything, but it's the only thing. Green and
2: yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow,
0: green and yellow, green and yellow. Yeah. Unknown Packers podcast. Green and yellow,
2: green and yellow.
0: Let me tell you this, Green Bay is a great town.
2: This is Green
0: Bay.
1: And welcome to the Unknown Packers podcast for our guest episode. We have a special guest for this episode, Jacob Westendorf of Packer Report. Pack-A-Day Podcast and Dairyland Express. How are you doing, Jacob?
2: I'm doing well. Uh, excited to be here. A, uh, I think the joke that they make all the time on the on the radio is long-time listener, first-time caller. So I'm a long-time <laughs> listener of the unknown and now a first-time caller. So excited to be here and uh, talk some ball with you guys.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, we, we've connected on Twitter and appreciate the support. And I've been a big fan of yours as well, especially with Pack-A-Day and uh, your newest venture is Packer Report, correct me if I'm wrong.
2: No, that is correct. Uh, started, uh, I think, around late August, early September. Ross Uglum took over and uh, asked me to join on with him. And I said I'd be, I'd be happy to do so. I interned there in college uh, when the great Bill Huber was running the show there and was thankful they were the first uh, publication to ever publish any of my work. So that was something that was kind of a cool little full circle moment now that I'm employed and working for them.
1: I had no idea that you had interned there in Packer Report and Pack-a-Day Podcast and as well as Dairyland Express. Tell us a little bit about who you are. Uh, I'm pretty well aware. I mean, I follow you on Twitter. We definitely, uh, we, we go back and forth. But for our listeners, who, who are you? How, how you got involved with Pack-a-Day Podcast as well as Packer Report? I know you just mentioned interning, but as well as Dairyland Express.
2: Sure. I uh, started in college. I went to Wisconsin Green Bay. Graduated there with my communication degree. Go Phoenix! If you went to UW Milwaukee, my condolences. But that's that's yeah, the best. I thing did. Been, oh, you did? No kidding! That's hilarious. <laughs> I
1: did, yes. Um,
2: Okay. So funny story is <laughs> UW Milwaukee and Bryce. I admittedly don't know how old you are, but when I'm thirty seven. Okay, so we have a bit of an age gap. But that's all right. When I was a senior in college, we had three guys that have either been in the NBA or had tryouts in the NBA. We were the number one seed in the horizon league tournament. And if we won, there was a decent chance I was going to get to go to the NCAA tournament had green Bay made it. Well, Milwaukee came in and they were the only team to beat green Bay at the rest center that season. And that includes a win GB had against Virginia, Tony Bennett's Virginia team. Joe Harris was on that team. Uh, They ended up being like a two or a three seed in the tournament that year. And Milwaukee beat Green Bay twice at the rest center, once in the regular season and once in the tournament. So I hate Milwaukee with (laughs) with a burning passion.
1: (laughs) All right. I had no idea. Was that 2014?
2: Yes, because Milwaukee went to the tournament that year. I'll never forget. It was Jordan Aaron was the head coach. And I believe, or excuse me, Jordan Aaron was their best player. And I believe the head coach's name was Bob Jeter.
1: But I could it was be wrong. Jeter, uh, Rob Jeter.
2: Rob Jeter. Okay. Yeah. Rob. Yeah, uh,
1: Bob, Bob. Yeah. Yeah. You're correct, and that was actually a Cinderella run. I remember because I had just graduated. I I went back to college a little bit later, later in life, and so I had just graduated in the following year. Milwaukee had made the tournament, and I do remember that Green Bay team, and I remember how uh, I guess lacked for a better term, uh, awestruck that the fact that the uh, Milwaukee made it to the tournament, uh, without any sort of
2: scandal knock on Bruce (laughs) Pearl there. Yeah, that's pretty funny. And, uh, Bruce Pearl's not one of my favorite people either, but uh, (laughs) outside of college, uh, I started, I I hooked up with Jersey Al of PackersTalk.com and then kind of just started blogging for him a little bit. And then I reached out to Bill Huber. I had an idea of writing and scoring recent drafts based on a point system. And I came up with the system and was going to do it for all 32 teams to see, because at the time, and I'm sure you guys all remember this, Ted Thompson was the general manager and free agency wasn't a thing. So you really had to draft well. So I wanted to see how well I thought the Packers did based on that point system. And they came in relatively high. They did well. So that was the first thing I ever did for them and kind of worked my way through that podcasting wise, I started Marcus Eversall works for yeah. WDUZ up in uh, Green Bay now. And we started something at the time. It was called Pulse of the Pack, which we still have that name of, but it's under a different co-host now. It's myself and Jason Perrone. But for a while, it was me and Marcus while we were in college together. And we just kind of started doing that. And then I used some of those clips and everything when Andy Herman said he was trying to start the, the Pack-A-Day podcast and was like, you know who who has experience who wants to do this stuff kind of thing one show a day and i was fortunate enough that he he accepted me and i know andy likes to point this out so since he does i will too uh since packaday <laughs> started i am the most frequent host of the show it seems like it's just been lucky that whenever somebody's needed a sub i've been able to do it so i am the uh, longest uh, or the most frequent episode host that you guys have heard so if you don't like me, then I suppose my condolences. But if you do like me, then there you go. There's your treat.
1: Yeah, we're in great company right now.
2: <laughs> I would like to think so.
1: <laughs> On top of the fact that I'm a, I'm a Panthers uh, alum, so that is an interesting tidbit that we'll add to our budding friendship. And with Packer Report right now, what do you do with them
2: again? I write for them. I write twice a week, uh, or as Ross always likes to say, there's no such thing as bad content. So if there's a hole or something that needs to be filled, I try and do that. But normally I write on Tuesdays and uh, Fridays are my days. I'm actually working on some stuff right now, but I won't tell you what, because we're going to talk about it a little bit later in the show here. But yeah, just kind of whatever, whatever's come to mind. I know Fridays during the season, I was doing Keys to Victory and then Tuesdays I would do something analysis based on. Uh, what happened in Sunday's game or depending on when the game fell, if it felt like this past year, they clinched the NFC North on a Monday night. So my Tuesday article was one of the first ones up and that was uh, oh. really fortunate on my end too. So uh, I do those things with them. And then, uh, you know, during, I'm trying to start dabbling a little bit more in the the film work, the camera work, the analysis, because I can I can give you guys the analysis. I watch all the stuff, but it's it's a lot better when you can show your work so I can show you exactly what I'm talking about, but I'm still kind of working through some of the kinks because I don't want to put something out there that's, for lack of a better term, crappy.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I look forward to uh, to seeing that come into fruition and have that unveil. And like I said, right at the beginning of the episode, I'm super excited to have you on. And uh, we're starting a new guest structure. So I'm proud to unveil this new guest structure with you. Uh, you're, you're the first guest to experience this. We've had... Uh, numerous guests in the past. And most recently, we've been releasing a Tuesday episode. Uh, most recently, we had Ken Ingalls, uh, the salary cap extraordinaire, salary cap guru. His episode released this last Tuesday, salary cap on tap. And then we had Matt Fralick, a Pack A podcast a week and a half ago with Draft Crush on tap. And that was more of a NFL combine preview. So with this, uh, this is a new structure. So I've got three questions that I'll ask you and every guest moving forward, but you get to experience this firsthand. And uh, with the first question, I'd like to know how and when did you become a Packers fan?
2: Okay, so I mentioned we have a bit of an age gap. I'm 28 years old. So those of you that can do math real quick, I was pretty much, well, I remember actually I was born, I turned one 17 days. I shouldn't say I remember, but (laughs) uh, (laughs) 17 days before Brett Favre made his appearance against the Cincinnati Bengals was my first birthday. So my first football Um, memory is, and I'm looking at it right now because it's in my basement, is Brett Favre running around the Superdome with his helmet above his head. And I was a walking Packers encyclopedia. I didn't watch Sunday morning cartoons. I watched SportsCenter and I watched football. And I loved the Packers uh, really ever since that day. And I know it seems interesting that I became a fan, I guess, on Super Bowl Sunday, but I really was hooked really from that whole season and that team was so good and they're so much fun to watch now, even almost 25, 30 years later here. But I remember one other thing from that year and I, this memory is not as vivid, but I've had this story told to me before. And that was that that year the Packers played on Monday night football against the Eagles. And it was the first time they had played on Monday night at Lambeau field in like 15 years or something like that. And my dad was like, well, you know, my dad's an Eagles fan. And he says, well, Jake, you know, we're, we're Eagles fans in this house. Like, you know, we root for the Eagles. And if you guys remember, the Packers kicked the crap out of the Eagles lat- that night. I think the final score was like 39 to 13. Favre was awesome. Reggie White was all over the place. And I basically looked at my dad and said, why would I like that team? I like this team better. They're clearly better. So, um, yeah, Brett Favre was my hero from my time growing up. And uh, he really was the reason. And like many others, I think my age was the reason I became a Packers fan. Wow. Uh,
1: well, I didn't know the the age gap. And yeah, when you mentioned that, I mean, I was I was 13 when the Packers won the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 31. Uh, I remember what I was doing. But when you were talking about when uh, Favre played the Bengals, you know, I, I remember that Terrell Buckley fumbling a punt return, then returning a punt return, and then an interception setting up the heroics for Brett Favre. So you're bringing up all these memories and with that, uh, the, the follow-up question is, so I might have an idea who this might be, but who is your favorite Packers player, past or present?
2: Uh, see, this question's kind of difficult because past and present, it's kind of, you know, hard to separate those things. So why don't you give me two? Okay. Give me your favorite past
1: player. We'll, we'll switch it up. For the first episode, your favorite pass player and your favorite current player.
2: Sure, my favorite pass player was Reggie White, actually, and I know I just said Brett Favre, but as a, I was a really bad defensive end when I was in high school, so I thought I was a pass rusher. I never quite mastered Reggie White's hump move; him being oh. a lot stronger than me was probably the reason why. But now Reggie, the minister of defense, uh, he was awesome. I loved him. That everything that '90s Packers team, really, him or him and Brett are kind of interchangeable uh, in terms of favorite players like that. Now present, I will say that I had a soft spot for Clay Matthews for a really long time. Charles Woodson obviously makes that list as well for, well, I guess he's a pass player now, but but as far as actual, yeah, as far as actual present, Aaron Rodgers makes any list, but Zadarius Smith, the way that he came in and just kind of changed the entire team, had this big personality. It's something the Packers haven't really had a guy like that. And the personality is a positive thing. You know, it's not self-gratifying and drawing attention to himself necessarily, but he's really about the team. So obviously Aaron Rodgers is great. I think he's one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game, but uh, I got a hard time going against Z, especially after the way last season went. Well, it was Z'Darrius Smith? Smith. It was about, I would say about 11 months ago, 10
1: months ago, right after Gutekunst and the Packers signed Zadarius Smith, a little humble brig. Uh, Andy Herman ended up tweeting it out, I think a few months later, and uh, I had mentioned on uh, on an episode, and I'd like to think that maybe Andy listened to it and that got him the idea to tweet this out. I had mentioned that Zedarius Smith is to Brian Gutekunst the, the way that Charles Woodson is to Ted Thompson and Reggie White is to Ron Wolf, And I had tweeted it out and I definitely, you know, I don't get as, definitely not near as much traffic as, as Andy Herman, but I got a lot of pushback on, whoa, 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 these are two pro bowlers. What are you saying? I... The whole thing for me was it has to be that type of impact. And boy, was it ever how he came in, completely transformed that culture. Numerous Packer players have talked about how much fun it was this past season. And a lot of that has to do with Zedaria Smith. And to think only uh, it's just year one was Zedaria Smith and what more that he can contribute. And he's already a Packer favorite um, amongst a lot of fans. Is there a moment that sticks out to you when you finally were realizing that like what I just mentioned, the the Zadarius Smith signing to Brian Gutekunst is very much like the Reggie White and Charles
2: Woodson signing. The night that the Packers clinched the NFC North, and I've always, you know, Bart Starr had a quote that stuck out in my head all the time, and that was, a true measure is how well somebody plays under pressure when you have to win. That's really what measures, you know, a great player. And the Packers had to win that game to have a chance at a first round bye. They had to win the game. If they won that game, they won the division. And he ate Minnesota. I mean, I think the Packers could have kneeled down on offense the entire game and Z might have found a way to win it for them that particular night. And that's when, I mean, that really was, I wrote my story the next day for Packer Report was that Zedarius just had a performance for the ages. That might have been the single best game we've seen from a Packers pass rusher since maybe Reggie White in Super Bowl 31. I know Clay had a couple big games like that, but it never felt it was All is disruptive like that. Maybe that's recency bias, but as soon as, because I try and not live off of the emotion and spurs of the moment. So like when you said the whole Mm -hmm. thing about, you know, Reggie to Wolf and Woodson to Ted and now Z might be that for Goody. I definitely wanted to reserve judgment on that. And I still think that there's a little bit of reservation on that just because we're talking about Reggie White was the best player on a defense that won the Super Bowl. And Charles Woodson, either him or Clay, was the best player on the defense that won Super Bowl 45. So we have a little bit to go there before maybe Zeke can get that level. But when the Packers win the Super Bowl in 2020, I'll happily say, yep, Bryce had it, and he had it early. <laughs>
1: and I'm all on board, too. I think the year one to year two jump, I can't wait to see what Zadarius Smith does. And it was more of the fact of, I was foreshadowing of the fact that I, I get this sense that Zadarius Smith could be as impactful. And a lot of my pushback was because of the caliber of Reggie White and Charles Woodson. You're right. He's got a ways to go to be in that category, but for to see Grudekunst just hit a home run with the Zedaria Smith. And not only that, the, the three other free agents, but getting off task a little bit, but I wanted to talk uh, Zadarius Smith with you. I was not expecting that as a, as a, a present Packers player. And uh, I look forward to going back and, and watching some of his highlights, especially that, uh, that Vikings game. And, and with that, to wrap up the first half of our guest episode, what is your favorite Packers-related
2: or your favorite related Packers memory? Well, I mean, obviously when they won Super Bowl forty five. so like I mentioned, I was really young when the Packers won Super Bowl thirty one. so I didn't really have a full appreciation for the moment. And the story that kind of goes with that is the next year when they lost to the Broncos, you know, I was six years old and I told my mom like it, it, this isn't a big deal. Uh, you know the pack that the Packers lost. It's fine. I'm happy that John Elway was able to win because I had heard those stories all week. Obviously, and and the Packers are in the Super Bowl all the time because they had been in the two years that right. I had been paying attention to football. So this happens all the time. Well, clearly, obviously, as we know now, it it does not. But Super Bowl 45 really was uh, a special. Just really the whole thing. I mean, the playoff run and leading into was. My dad's an Eagles fan. They beat them. One of my good friends is a Falcons fan. They beat them. And then the week after, I live in Illinois. So beating <laughs> beating the Bears in the NFC, the ultimate bragging rights game, Uh, that was special. And then I, I'll never forget crying on the floor like a little baby after they broke up that last pass. I still get goosebumps thinking about it now just because it's something that's so special. And it's why when people say things along the lines of, oh, the Packers only have won one Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers, I I just don't ascribe to that because that one was so special. And it really kind of, I think, think moments like that make you appreciate them because even the struggles that you see that have, and struggles is really a weird term to use for that, but just how hard it is to do that. You know, the Patriots and Tom Brady and Bill Belichick have kind of clouded how hard it is to win a Super Bowl. It seems like every time a team wins, we're talking about are they the next dynasty? Well, I never wanted to talk about that. I wanted to appreciate the moment and I, I I'll never forget my next day. I was in school the next day, and I had a friend ask me, So how long are you gonna, you know, or when are you gonna come down from this? And I was like, never. And I still don't. I watched <laughs> I watched the Super Bowl on February 6th every single year. I bought a replica nice. of one of the Super Bowl rings that year. I wear that every <laughs> year only on that day. I mean, Short of the day I got married and the day my daughter was born, it was the happiest day of my life. I'm getting goosebumps.
1: <laughs> uh, I knew this I knew this guest structure, this uh, having you on was going to be incredible. Uh, thank you so much for opening up and for us to, to get a little peek into why you're a Packers fan. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to be right back and we're going to get into the nitty gritty. Some Brian Balaga, some Jimmy Graham, and then some NFL Combine post buzz. Be right back. Go Pack Go.
0: You are listening to the unknown packers podcast Do you want to be a part of the show if so give our listener line a call leave your name a comment concern or question and we will include your message on an upcoming episode call 920-328-5269 again that's 920-328-5269 we look forward to hearing from you don't forget to show us some love and rate us on your favorite podcast provider now let's get to the second half
1: for the second half with Jacob Westendorf of Pack-a-Day podcast, Pack-a-Report and Dairyland Express and Pulse of the Pack. And we get a little snapshot into why you're a Packers fan, your favorite memories. I got goosebumps. I can't wait. I want this recording to go as long as possible, but at the same time, I want to run back upstairs and and watch Super Bowl 45. <laughs> you, you gave me goosebumps. I'm super excited to check that out. I love the ritual of the, the the Super Bowl uh, replica ring and watching that every year, I might have to take a page out of your book and, and do that as well. And with that, we're going to get into some now a little bit more back and forth. And the first question that I want to talk to you about is Brian Balaga. And reports are coming out that none of the Packers upper brass talked to any of Balaga's reps at the Combine. And according to Balaga, the Packers haven't contacted him or his representative about a new deal, suggesting that general manager Brian Gutekunst and his staff is comfortable letting the market dictate his value before becoming interested in negotiation. Not meeting with Brian Balaga's reps at the Combine in Indianapolis almost guarantees no deal will get done before the start of the free agency. This was from Packers Wire and Zach Cruz. Brian Balaga, who turns 31 this month, has completed two full contracts with the Green Bay Packers, who picked him out of Iowa in the first round of the 2010 draft. He's coming off one of his best seasons. The veteran avoided major injuries starting all 16 regular season games, 17 out of 18 games overall shut down several top pass rushers and set the right edge for the best pass-blocking offensive line in the NFL per ESPN's pass-block win rate. I've been on the fence with Brian Belaga because of the fact of the Packers are very apprehensive of giving a third contract to a Packers player. This seems very reminiscent of TJ Lang, where we thought that he would be coming back and he had no contact, and so this seems eerily similar. So with that, give me your take on the importance or lack thereof of bringing Brian Belaga back. And what's your take so far that the Packers haven't contacted him?
2: Oh, I've been very, very vocal. So I know you knew the answer to that question before you asked (laughs) it, but... I've been baiting you. Yeah, that's okay. I I think that the issue here is when the Packers let... You mentioned TJ Lang, and I understand that aging, had some issues with uh, injuries and everything like that. But then the Packers replacement option was Jari Evans. Now they ended up signing him later. So I don't know what their internal thought was at the time, if they were going to go with the draft pick or something like that. But from a positional value standpoint, the guard position is just not as important as the tackle spot. And the replacement options currently for Brian Balaga are, and as followed, re-signing Jared Veld here, which is possible, but they'll have competition for him. And if the numbers are close, like say, for example, if Veld here is going to get a 1 year deal for 6 million a year and Balaga is getting a 2 year deal for say 9 million a year, is that 3 million dollars really worth the drop off there? So that's kind of my question with Veld here. I am happy to hear he wants to play cuz that was definitely one of my concerns and just counting on him because I mean and this isn't a knock on him but he came out of retirement. I mean, that's you know, they always say once you think you're retired, you're probably done. So that's <laughs> one of your options. You have the other option of moving Billy Turner out to right tackle, which I have zero interest in. He's a pretty good guard, uh, probably shouldn't be playing tackle on a team that wants to throw the ball like Green Bay does. Alex Light, uh, if anybody thinks Alex Light's ready, go watch when Green Bay played the Eagles or the first time against the 49ers. You'll change your mind very, very quickly. And then you have the, the draft pick option, which... That's great. Brian Balaga started in his first season because Mark Tauscher had a, what ended up being a career ending injury that year. And Balaga was pretty solid out there, but I just don't know that getting cheap at the offensive line and offensive line to me, there's passer, there's pass rusher and there's pass blocker and pass rusher and pass blocker are kind of like two a and two B in terms of importance. And maybe I'm biased because I played the offensive line when I was in high school and kind of go that route. But I think it's one of the most important positions on the field. And I think that getting cheap on the offensive line with a 37-year-old quarterback that has had some issues of his own with injuries, and I know the injury bug is kind of the detractor to Balaga, but at the same time, he started 30 of the last 32 games. My thought is bring back Balaga because there isn't a good replacement option for him and try to find his replacement. Uh, hopefully that's not someone like Jason Spriggs was, which that the Jason Spriggs pick that year, everybody says like, well, that was Belaga's replacement. And it really wasn't. What it was was a reaction or an action to the fact that that year, if you guys remember, Green Bay played in Arizona that year, not the playoff game, but the first time they played. And by the end of the game, the tackles were Don Barclay and Josh Walker, and both were just absolute tire fires. So Green Bay needed somebody that could play tackle if Bakhtiari couldn't go or if Balaga couldn't go. Spriggs didn't work out. That's unfortunate. Wish him the best in whatever his next career venture is because it looks like he's not going to be able to be a professional football player. But I would say find your replacement in the draft, and maybe that means the 30th overall pick. Maybe that means somebody a little bit later, but I don't want that player to be pressed to start immediately. And Brian Gudekunst basically... Pushed his chips to the center of the table last offseason. He said, we're all in to win this thing every year. And he says that all the time. Well, you can't do that and then be cheap at one of the most important positions on your football team. I think that it's, yes, there's risks that come with a third contract. Yes, Balaga has been banged up. But the options of replacing him aren't good. And that's a byproduct. You're kind of backed into a corner that way.
1: Do you think uh, the determinant might be that he wants to play another three or four years? He's been pretty vocal about that. I know he wants to stick around in Green Bay, he wants to start and end his career in Green Bay. Him not being too far, his stomping grounds in Awa. And, <laughs> but do you think the the concern is that he wants three to four years and Gutekunst is looking at it as more of a one, two year sort of deal? And that's what it is. But the fact of the matter is they have even contacted him. And so I don't know. Usually that doesn't bode well. Uh, and it does seem that... And I mentioned this in earlier episodes that Gudikunz. I mean, it's been pretty evident that he's been slowly transforming this team into his players. He'll he'll re-sign Kenny Clark, which is a Ted Thompson player. He, you know, he extended Aaron Rodgers, which is a which is a Ted Thompson player. But he's slowly transforming. Do you think that he wants to transform? But then he's also looking at 2021, where you've got David Bakhtiari and Corey Lindsley also be, being free agents. So it gets to the point where if you're looking at all of the positional groups. And you essentially hit on all of the position groups outside of inside linebacker and right tackle. Are you okay with that?
2: Oh, that's a loaded question there. Um, (laughs) I mean, ultimately I know I understand looking ahead because there are a lot of, of guys and Bakhtiari's contracts, not going to be inexpensive. Corey Lindsley, if they choose to bring him back, that's a third contract guy that I think will be an interesting one just because again, he plays a position not quite as valuable, but he is, very good at that spot. But yeah, you mentioned, I mean, Ken Ingalls, which I know you guys have spoken with him as well or plan to, I can't remember which, but the uh, Packers
1: just on our, uh, our Tuesday episode.
2: There you go. So the Packers cap guy, if you will, uh, has basically said that the Packers can afford to extend Kenny Clark and sign two free agents. uh, One of which would mean Brian Balaga, obviously. And then one additional guy. Well, the thought on that would be if you let Balaga go is then you can address like theoretically, and again, I'm just spitballing with names here, but you could sign Corey Littleton and Austin Hooper and fix two positions instead of, you know, just one. Well, th- my thought on that is you create another position though. So it really is only like the net gain is still only one. Right. And I, I think that, and I still believe this. I think that fixing the offensive line And one of the other positions is more important than either one tight end or linebacker. And I know Packers fans are obsessed with tight ends because we haven't had a good one since it seems like the days of Chewy and Keith Jackson or, you know, a couple years there of Jermichael Finley, but it really feels like that long since they've had a good one. And I know they're obsessed with inside linebackers because while the Packers, again, they haven't had a good one since really Nick Barnett, but the reality is. The Kansas City Chiefs, and this is a joke that Ross Uglum likes to make, just won the Super Bowl with a UPS driver and a a delivery man playing linebacker. So it's just not that important of a position. I know the Packers just basically got lit up and lost because of that, but I think there's a little overreaction to that. So I'll be interested to see what they do. I do think that position does need some upgrade. Don't get me wrong on that, but I wouldn't do it again at the expense of Brian Balaga. And I'm with you. I, I'm on the fence
1: just for the sole fact of, I, I think you have to shore up the right tackle. And I would love for Balaga to come back in a one, two year deal. I don't know if that's what he wants in his camp. I'm willing to guarantee that Gudakuns is just waiting for the market to set, see what the market is once free agency hits. But by then, you know, Balaga's price take could drive all the way up there. And I don't know if he'll take that hometown discount. I know that he wants to stay there, but You know, him being a coveted right tackle, I could see a team splurging and bringing him in being a big, uh, big time splash. We'll have to wait and see a couple more weeks until free agency. A second guy I wanted to talk about is Jimmy Graham. And you talk about tight ends and it feels like forever. The glimpse, just the, you know, the, in a blink of an eye, Jared Cook was gone. Uh, uh, Jermichael Finley a long, long time ago. I remember uh, Donald Lee had a couple of good seasons as well with Brett Favre. Bubba Frank's red uh, red zone machine, but you're right. It's been a while in releasing Jordy Nelson and making a splash of Jimmy Graham. This is the cautionary tale of making big splashes in free agency. Last year, you had Gutekunst hitting on all four with Zedaria Smith, Preston Smith, Adrian Amos, and Billy Turner. Jimmy Graham in 2018, you're looking at that 2018 free agency class of Muhammad Wilkerson and Jimmy Graham, but the 33-year-old tight end is not expected to be back in Green Bay, NFL Network Insider Ian Rappaport reported. Graham is entering the final year of his contract, which is due to pay him $8 million and carries a cap hit of $11.6 million. If the Packers do release Graham, they can save $8 million of the off that ladder number, so that could then possibly uh, re-sign Balaga. I just don't know what that whole contract, if it's a three, four-year sort of thing. But with Jimmy Graham, what comes to mind? Big swing and miss. I think it's a cautionary tale of what free agency holds for some. This is why Ted Thompson was rather apprehensive. And when he did go out in free agency, he hit on all of them with Ryan Pickett and Tremont Williams and Charles Woodson and Julius Peppers. Uh, So we get all excited about the 2019 class. But looking at 2018, this Jimmy Graham was a big swing and miss. Caught 38 passes in 16 games last season. Just five more than his career low of 31 recorded in his rookie season with the Saints. His three touchdowns and 447 yards showed that he could be productive, but he had five total red zone touchdowns in two years. Just in context, Jamal Williams had five touchdowns last year alone. So we thought Jimmy Graham was going to come in and be a big time red zone threat. Gutekun shelled out. So what is your take on the whole Jimmy Graham releasing that's going to happen here soon?
2: Yeah, I, I think you hit it, the the cautionary tale portion, because everybody kind of seems to think that I always joke that, you know, pro football is not Madden and you don't just plug in and things are just always going to work out. You know, Jimmy Graham, I think a lot of people, and I like Jimmy Graham. Uh, I, I was a long admirer of him. I like move tight ends. I like athletic tight ends, uh, guys that make plays down the field. I think that's more valuable than guys who are, you know, glorified offensive tackles, which a lot of people look for. And uh, some of their tight end stuff. So I think that it's unfortunate that it worked out the way that it did for Graham. I give him credit. He never complained about his numbers. He never complained about getting the ball more or anything like that. He's just aging and it was time to move on. And I really think that I think it was Tyler Grezegorik of Cheesehead TV yesterday said something to the effect of if Jimmy Graham and the Jordy Nelson release didn't happen within like 10 minutes of each other is what it felt like then that wouldn't have – he wouldn't be as hated, if you will, uh, in the Packers blogosphere uh, slash Twitter slash whatever. So I don't know if that's true, but I I tend to believe him, and I get it. I mean, Jordy was a fan favorite. He's a Packers Hall of Famer. He was the Packers' best receiver production-wise in that Super Bowl that I mentioned earlier. So, I mean, there's a lot to love about Jordy Nelson, obviously, and it just didn't pan out with Jimmy Graham. But the cautionary tale that you mentioned – I think you hit it on the head perfectly because I think a lot of people automatically assume and Ted Thompson talked about this all the time is you don't know how someone's going to react in your locker room until you get them there. And that's why, I mean, Ted, maybe to a fault, obviously, but that's why Ted was so hell bent on. These are my guys and these are our, and we know how they react. We know how they are and we keep them around and adding somebody from outside You know, Andrew Brandt used to say, like, whenever he called and asked about a free agent, the first thing he would do is ask one of his buddies that works for the organization, well, what's wrong with him? Why do you want to let him get away kind of thing? And I think that's a fair question. And sometimes teams make mistakes. Uh, Washington not paying Preston Smith looks like a mistake. Baltimore not paying Zadarius looks like a mistake. I mean, those are several examples, but then there are examples like Jimmy Graham, where He's old. He's past his prime, and uh, wasn't able to find the fountain of youth. And it's unfortunate that it worked out that way because I was really hopeful for him here in Green Bay. I think that number that you threw out of five red zone touchdowns in two seasons is just crazy to me because that felt like even if he makes no impact between the twenties, it felt like in the red zone would be where he made hay, and he just never did.
1: Yeah, never, it never amounted to anything. And you know when we were when I was doing research for that that was the number that stuck out as well and I appreciate your perspective and I love what you shared with Andrew Brandt. as we get closer to wrapping up our guest episode with Jacob Westendorf I've got two more questions for you the last of what we're going to wrap up on is the NFL combine uh what excited you the most with the NFL combine now that we're looking at it in the rearview mirror
2: ah uh, yes the underwear olympics uh I am a <laughs> I'm a believer that I, I will never say the combine doesn't matter because that is not true. Uh, but I do think it's funny how someone like chase Claypool to me, for example, out of Notre Dame to me, I thought he was a day three player all day long going into the draft. And now he had a really good combine to his credit and people are putting him as the Packers, like 62nd overall pick. And that's crazy to me. Uh, so I always enjoy stuff like that every year, but One of the biggest things I saw, Justin Jefferson running a 4-3 was something I didn't envision. Uh, Not a speed that I saw on tape initially, but it's good to know that those are things that he can do. And I I really do. I think that he fits the Packers like a glove. I was a little skeptical initially, but for what Green Bay needs at their receiver spots in the slots, I think that's somewhere that Green Bay could go. So that was good to see on that. Uh, And then actually there was a local kid uh, here from Rockford. His name was James Robinson. He played running back for... Illinois state and he did pretty well to combine too. So I keep saying, uh, let's make that man's face mask green.
1: Oh, I like it. I like it. And it's funny, you know, we started off the episode. Uh, so now we're getting, we're coming full circle and we started off the episode where uh, you threw a little unknown shade at the UWM Panthers and not knowing that I was an alum. And then two, I talked about Chase Claypool in our uh, last step or our episode that just released uh, our Thursday episode with myself and Niebel's, uh Dreams versus Realities. And I talked about the fact that I saw a mock draft with Chase Claypool at 62. I had mentioned that I thought that we were overreacting, but the thing that excited me about Chase Claypool is that him being 6'4", about 239 and running a 4'47", he is the only one to do that of that size and speed combination since Calvin Johnson. So uh, a guy with that size and speed, that really excites me. But the whole cautionary tale of free agency, same with combine. We get super excited when we see these, uh, athletic specimens and then we rush to judgment. So I'm glad that, uh, you mentioned that it definitely humbles me a little bit. That 62 spot is intriguing. What was the reason why, uh, you had chase Claypool as a, as a day three,
2: his tape just doesn't have that play speed on it. Uh, he looks to me like a big receiver that kind of boxes dudes out and there's value to that. Certainly. But I know like one of the first things that I think it was, oh gosh, I don't know who it was. So I apologize. But somebody said, you know, if your first thought is there's a lot of people talking about him as a move tight end. And somebody said like something along the lines of if your first thought on a prospect is him changing the position he played in college. Maybe he's not that good at the position he played in (laughs) college. So uh, I think that there's some tools there, certainly. But he's got a lot of work to do uh, and that. Like I said, that workout, those numbers don't necessarily translate on his tape unless there's something that I've missed, which I watch all the way up until actual draft day. But uh, we've got yeah, I've got to see that actually happen on tape before I go, okay, because there's a lot of workout warriors out there and we know all too well about one with name Tony Mandarich might come to mind.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man, you're bringing out the nostalgia. Super Bowl 31, Super Bowl 45, talking about Favre and the Bengals, and now Tony Mandrich. Uh, I want to thank you so much for coming on the Unknown Packers podcast. Before we wrap up, I've got one question, but where can all our listeners find you throughout social media?
2: Okay, you can find me on Twitter. It is at Jacob Westendorf. I talk a lot about the Packers and post a lot of pictures of my six month old baby girl. And people seem to like those. So, and then uh, for the other we stuff, do. <laughs> thank you. Uh, at Packer Report 66, at Packer Pulse, and at Dairyland Express for uh, some of the other guys that I have going on there. And then you can also find my YouTube channel with Jason Perrone. It's Pulse of the Pack. It's a Pulse of the Pack logo uh, that you can find there with a big G on it. So it should be pretty easy to follow there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And
1: the final question, as we move forward uh, this will be the same guest structure for all our episodes. We'll ask the same three questions in the first half, and then we'll do a Q&A for the second half. And then I'm going to come up with a question uh, every week. And this just dawned on me, but it's something that I've asked a couple of my friends. And I, I'm curious for you, if you could have one last meal, oh, wow. what would it be?
2: Wow, you're really putting me... And I just like went on a diet not that long ago too. So I'm literally craving everything. This is last meal, so- man. <laughs> this is
1: last meal. There's no no regrets. No working out afterwards. This is the last meal.
2: Right. Uh, To me, there is nothing better than a very good, I don't want to say well, because I don't want to confuse people because I'm not a monster that eats my (laughs) steak well done, but a very good cooked steak, (laughs) uh, medium rare. My mom makes these wonderful fried potatoes. I love those. Uh, And then some corn on the cob right there on the side with like butter and salt and pepper and stuff just drizzled all over it. I think that would be absolutely delicious as my last meal. Hopefully I'm not having one of those for a long time though.
1: Absolutely. Well, there you have it. Uh, not to be morbid, but more a little snapshot into uh, what you like to eat as well as all of the, the Packers knowledge and uh, your Packers background. Thank you so much for joining the Unknown Packers podcast. We'll, we'll, we'll make this happen again. Uh, I, I, I loved uh, what you had to say. Also, um, the variety of different perspectives that you shared. Looking forward to doing this again. Thank you so much.
2: Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Bryce. I appreciate it. And I will uh, love to come back anytime.
1: Awesome. We'll make that happen. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to our guest episode with Jacob Westendorf. I am your host, Bryce Christensen, and this is The Unknown Packers Podcast. Thank you so much for following The Unknown Packers Podcast. Make sure that you're tuning in to TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Google Play, Stitcher, and a variety of other podcast platforms. Don't forget to say, hey, Alexa, play The Unknown Packers Podcast. That's right. We're good friends with Alexa. Make sure you're checking out our website, theunknownpackers.com, as well as Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and Reddit, The Unknown Packers Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I'm Bryce Christensen, and this is The Unknown Packers Podcast.